Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Alex, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Joe. Yippee-ki-yay. And today, we are joined by our friend, LQ. Please hold your applause. Today, we'll be talking about Die Hard and what makes a Christmas movie. So, spoiler alert for Die Hard. Now, sit back and relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So, listeners, this is a very special episode of Two Bald Men. Um, we recorded this episode. Well, we uh, discussed we this episode. Didn't record this episode. And then found out we didn't. Dis- we didn't record it. Um. Yeah. I. I am. Uh willing to not willing i have to uh take responsibility for the fact that i didn't press the record button and so i recorded my voice over the course of the last hour hour and a half but i didn't record joe and lq's voice nope i'm just along for the ride <laughs> so so we took a breather and and we said Let's just come back, and rather than trying to fake it and fake reactions, we're we're gonna be upfront about this. Uh, and if my mood is any lower than what you're used to, it's because I feel like a goofball, which is the <laughs> nicest word I've said to myself. So, LQ, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Who are Hello. you? Hi, I am a uh, streamer who also uh, went to college with you two, and I. Uh, have a background in film production so i have a lot of insights into storyboard stuff and also into like um just like uh foreshadowing and and, and plot convenience stuff uh, as well as some of the back back of the, behind the scenes things that might actually happen that might explain some things that happen in movies so i have some knowledge on that nice sounds like we brought in an expert love to see it that's you <laughs> I'm an expert? I don't know if I've ever been called an expert in anything. That's not true. <laughs> I can think of one thing. Moving Ooh. on. <laughs> All right. Stay tuned to find out what it is. Um, so we chose Die Hard. We chose what makes a Christmas movie because, you know, the internet. The internet's been talking like crazy. They're like, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Die Hard fans say yes. Non-diehard fans say, I don't care. That is the general consensus upon the diehard and non-diehard diehard fans. Uh, but not unlike, uh, actually, I think is a hot dog a sandwich is a little different than this, because I think people have genuinely strong feelings about it. Oh, the hot dog uh, a sandwich? But, yeah, that yeah. debate is um, on fire constantly. But I think with is diehard a Christmas movie, like you guys said, Yes, it's either yes, it is, or I don't care. But the yes, it is people are coming on so strong that a lot of the I don't care people have to rebut just as strong. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah. I kind of I felt that way with Umbrella Academy. When I watched yeah. Umbrella Academy, I could have been indifferent. And I could have been like, yeah, that was a show. But so many people loved it that I was just like, mm. 
Time to make you cry. Yeah, yeah. S- slight tangent, but yeah, the second season was definitely worse than the first season, and that was hands down a fact. That's interesting because the second season was for me better, and I oh, still no. didn't like it. Yeah. We we can talk about that on uh, Two Ball Ben podcast. Academy. Talk about Umbrella Academy, a TV series later. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. But, we're here to talk about Die here. Hard. And before we rate Die Hard, I want to say that I, I have a lot of thoughts about it, so I kind of want to rate it last. Um, I'll go first. Um, so Die Hard is uh, a movie that I just know is good just because, you know, in popular culture, uh, everyone says it's good. It's a movie I have seen once or twice and really loved. But watching it again today, I was like, wow this movie might be perfect. Uh, and so that is why I'm going to rate it a five. Wow, there it is. A perfect there five. It is. Uh, so I have some some issues with the movie as a movie itself. Um, when we talk about it in the Christmas sense and when we talk about it in the action sense. Uh, but overall, um, just based off of uh, plot and story and consistency stuff, I'm, I'm going to give it a solid 4.25 which no, i remember from last time is yeah. a first on that's uh, our two first quarter star i believe it yeah. is uh, another hot button debate full stars or half stars now we're getting quarter stars in there and honestly i'm here for it it's just yeah. it's just if we're if we want the points if we want the decimals like then just change the scale if right, what, right. What, that's that's my well, perspective you know five well, stars we also, we also had mentioned that if this had gone up to 10 stars that i would have given it an eight which is not proportionally the same which is not proportional to the yeah. same <laughs> but, but here we are 8.5 but because it's it, as you said it's not a four right right 4.25 4.25 well i happen to love this movie and it wasn't just from watching it the other day. Like, I knew I loved Die Hard. Um, no debates about the Christmas side of it just yet, but I also am going to give it five stars. I think it has a lot going for it in terms of storytelling. Uh, it has uh, an improv vibe in terms of the billions of Chekhov's guns it mentions in the first 20 minutes that go off in the last half hour of the movie. And I'm in awe. And it makes me feel like a little bit smart to like be able to keep up with the movie and any movie that makes me feel good about myself and my intellect. That gets five stars, baby. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was watching it and there... Um... There was a scene where I was like, just as you said, I was like, wow, this has a real, uh, like, full circle improv attitude. Like, everything's set up and then comes back. You know, it, the smallest detail in the opening has huge consequences uh, at the end of the story, which I really loved. Yeah, the uh, the opening scene where he's on the plane with the the guy and he's all nervous, and then the the guy next to him is like, "When you get back to your apartment, you know, just take your shoes off, take your socks off, and like make make fists with your toes." 
um, sets up the whole premise of like, well, Die Hard, he's in, he doesn't have shoes on because that's, that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes back even later in the movie when he, when they, uh, bad guys, Hans and his minions are shooting the glass and then he has to run on glass. Right. And there's a bunch yeah. of snippets like that, like throughout the first 20 or so minutes again, like they don't even, now I don't remember 1987 very well because i was born in 1993 but the types of trailers that existed in the 90s were very like boom 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 this is what this movie is about and then because they needed to convince people to go to the movies it wasn't like here's a teaser and then Mm -hmm. you can rewatch the teaser on the internet later on so they really needed to be upfront about what this movie is about which i think gives them an advantage because of that slow build that they're allowed to do, knowing that people came expecting the the big climactic stuff. So, like, people are going to sit here and they're going to be okay with the slow build. Unlike, you know, the Marvel movies where it's just, like, it starts with a sprint and then has a lull, like, after the first 15 to 20 minutes. I will say, uh, just on the trailers, it, it it's funny that people nowadays are like, trailers give away too much of the movie, which I understand why they're saying that. But older trailers were like, John McClane is a cop. He and his wife are divorced, but he's coming to L.A. to come see her. But, oh no, Alan Rickman's here and he's going to crash the party. Can John McClane make it out alive? Yes, he can. Die hard. <laughs> <laughs> Will this movie have a positive ending? Yes. Yes, it will. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a little bit of movie magic nowadays. Like, they give give away too much by just slicing different scenes that look like they're connected but aren't. Mm, The the thing that a lot of movie trailers can do today too is um, because they're all a lot of a lot of movies now are really digital, right? There are a lot of VFX in them. a lot of movie trailers now can just put whatever they want in them and then just change them for the actual movie. Um, mm-hmm. In particular, a scene I remember um, is the end game where um, in the trailer he has like two of the Infinity Gauntlet stones. And in the movie, he actually has like four or five of them. Um, but it's the same scene. They just took out two of the stones so that you guys didn't know how far along in the plot the, the story was going to be. Right. And they did a similar thing in the trailer for Endgame where everyone is walking in slow motion uh, in their spacesuits and they inserted uh, specific characters in that slow motion scene, even though they weren't because they didn't want to spoil like where they would be. Right, right. Um, But you couldn't do that back then. So whatever you got was was the was the implication of like what's going to happen in the movie. Um, But. Anyway, back to this 1987 film that rocks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think of the the shoes getting taken off. I think of the limo driver waiting in the basement. Um, I think of John McClane's wife putting the picture frame down because she doesn't want to see her husband because she feels guilty or, or something. Uh, John McClane's wife using her maiden name. Like all of these mm-hmm. introductory concepts that describe the relationships and the tension, so it is character building as well, are also factors in the discovery throughout the story, which I love. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking in particular about a scene. Um, you remember when Al is buying the Twinkies when we first meet him? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's just like a quick little nod, like a little bit later in the movie where uh, uh, John McClane is eating a Twinkie and he's like, what is this stuff made of? And Al can just recite the ingredients as if he's memorized them because he probably has. Uh, <laughs> but like like little like Easter eggs like that, like little uh, foreshadows things that always come back and tie back in they're they're really nice when movies can do them really well and very few movies can do them really well some movies try but uh there there's a there's a special place in uh in hearts of fans for movies that do them really well the rolex the rolex i just just remembered one more sorry (laughs) yeah no the rolex watch yes that's a huge one actually because that's like a whole the whole turning point in the in the in the film kind of and and then like i just Another aspect I love about it, just John McClane, Bruce Willis, he's coming in as a a comedian. Like pr- prior to Die Hard, he was not an action star. He was he was a a comedy star in television, and a lot of people were like, "Well, I don't think he can really carry an action role." Uh, but mm-hmm. every aspect of his humor like worked perfectly to break mm-hmm. tension like help you like be relieved but then like build it back up again like just just hearing john mcclane say yippee kaye motherfucker and like i'm like ooh, oh it's like risque like he doesn't even care about death but also yeah. like why are you poking the bear that is hans yeah well he's also like in the beginning of the movie he's just so frazzled he just looks like a mad person like trying to like figure out what's going on but he's also just got that adrenaline of like people are just took hostages um oh i wanted to say something and it's it's gone from my brain oh so um you you mentioned that the he like doesn't seem like he's right for the role or whatever they actually initially wrote the role to they initially wrote the movie um, with the idea of like Rambo in, in mind because they were like, well, we don't want another like movie where it's just like this hulked out guy going on a spree. So they wrote the character as an everyday Joe. Huh. Um, <laughs> um, so that the audience could relate better and then it could um, in turn be like, but he's also really cool. Like he's really good at like doing stuff. Oh, he's so cool. I didn't know that. He is so cool. Um, I do want to point out, though, that makes a lot of sense, Um, especially now, uh, you know, because in the 80s, it was like Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Sylvester Stallone. And now nowadays we have uh, The Rock, who I love The Rock, but every movie he's in, they're like, he's an accountant, but he used to be a Marine. That's how come he's as big as a goddamn bookshelf. (laughs) Uh, but with uh, but with John McClane, you didn't need that. It was just like, uh, yeah, he's a he's a police officer. He's a guy that's in good shape, and uh, he's in this building with a bunch of terrorists. That's right. it. That's the whole movie. And they, I mean, I know that they tried to do something similar with Ryan Gosling and The Notebook. Uh, mm. He was cast to not look totally, utterly stunning, but then because of that movie. His look became a type. <laughs> mm, mm. So I they think they basically brainwashed us into uh, not believing, accepting that Ryan Gosling is gorgeous. Yeah, I think we got gaslit, maybe. <laughs> maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Um, but I, I, I love this movie. 
And I I don't remember if I mentioned it this time, but in the previous recording of this, I said that despite me giving it five stars, there are problematic pieces to it, as there often are when we discuss movies from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. 2015. Oh, yeah. It turns out problematic things haven't left our cinema. No, it's very hard to 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 take those things out, especially with more and more people um, finding reasons to be upset. Um, right. Like, I, I don't want to put it like that. Yeah, like that's finding that's interesting wording, LQ. Like um, with more and more I'm upset about coming, this. <laughs> with more and more people uh, feeling open and um, have the ability to express their concerns and feelings that's what i was trying to say uh honestly the second take way better yeah with (laughs) with people feeling more um with people feeling more open to doing that um we have to take a look back on some of the older stuff and and realize that some things were not put in the correct light for the time Mm -hmm. um one one scene that really caught my eye as I watched it this time around. It was one of the minions was like, you're not going to hurt me or you're not going to kill me. There are rules for police officers. And then John McClane is like, yeah, that's what my captain keeps telling me. And like pistol whips him or something, which pretty funny line. If there wasn't the whole context of, you know, police officers, um, being protected by the law, even if they are taking advantage of a, a marginalized group. And it's concerning because, uh, Joe, you, you brought up the phrase in propaganda of, you know, in cinema, we see a lot of, you know, loose canning cops and we see this almost ideology of, police officers could do their job better if they didn't have to play by the rules. And, and that sentiment is dangerous to like instill in people, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, we see it a lot in like movies and TV shows of, um, you're a loose cannon, but damn it, you get results. And, uh, there's never really, uh, an exploration of what the result is because in reality, in, a best case scenario, if a police officer is a loose cannon, which is obviously not a best case scenario, but if a police officer is a good get a loose cannon, their results basically don't matter. So you shouldn't be able to be a loose cannon cop who still gets results. Right. It's a it's a bit of a of an oxymoron. Yeah. yeah. I would hope I would hope any loose cannon cops that are going out and just killing people for fun are getting arrested and put in jail. Well, even if they're going out and killing people because like they're bad, like well, you don't have you don't have the right to say that person deserved to die, regardless of what they did. Yeah, what's that phrase? Uh, something jury persecution. Uh, Judge, guilty, jury, gu- executioner. Guilty before proven innocent. No, the other way around. <laughs> it is before proven guilty. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, another scene we uh, spoke about the first time, and I don't remember how we got there, but um, Al, the the cop on the ground who's in communication with um, John McClane, Alex, you pointed out he is the only police officer of color, um, one of the only people of color in the movie, by the way, 
um, another thing that we should. Uh, Joe, there mm. were three whole people of color. Okay, <laughs> you're right. I take it all back. Uh, Honestly, there there were a surprising number of people for color for the time. People right? for color. Uh, people of color for the time. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um. Anyway, but, uh, um, you Al, yeah you, you were yeah. mentioning that Al is off the force, or he's he's a he's a desk cop now because um in the movie he ended up shooting a, a small child or a or a, an innocent an innocent bystander, um because he was holding like a a like a a paint gun or something, um and you made the point of saying um but that's not something that the police department did. That's something that Al himself decided to sit on the bench because he doesn't feel comfortable pulling a gun anymore. Yeah, Al specifically uh, says, I couldn't uh, bring myself to pull my gun out on somebody else, and therefore I should not be on the street. Um, And then he had, and so it's Al reckoning with this as an individual. Uh, not necessarily as a police officer or the police uh, department reckoning with what happened. Um, But then his big triumphant moment that uh, is the callback to that story is at the end, he does pull out his gun. And it's like, oh, Al, you're so brave. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah, you you did it. You're back. You're back in your in your old police officer ways where you can pull your gun on people. Hooray. I would love to point out, and this goes into the next point that I think I think we talked about in the last one as well, or the the the, the tryout of the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. What happened to all the other police officers who were there? Like, why did nobody else pull their gun or not run for cover? Like LAPD, what are you doing in that movie? Come on. Well, the, you have to understand, LQ. They weren't main characters. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, who uh, cares what happens to them? So that so the other point I want to make about the LAPD in the movie is they're god awful in that movie. Like they're they do not do a single thing that is beneficial. Yeah, they are comically bad. Yeah, yeah. Not evil, bad at their job. <laughs> oh, that's what you meant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, John McClane. He's a New York police officer, so maybe they were saying something about. You know, New York is better than L.A. Maybe that maybe that was an angle. Um, but but I, see that. I did want to conclude a little bit with Al of, you know, one of or the only police officer of color happens to be the one with the tragic backstory of um, killing a child, a 13 year old is an interesting choice, to say the least. Uh, I think interesting is a very optimistic term for it but they they are i guess appealing to to the sensitivity of a police officer and the trauma that they experience which is a good point they they also address that in blind spotting which now blind spotting is a bit of a newer movie so i do apologize for the spoiler but they they address the the post-traumatic stress that the police officer in that movie experienced, like he was really struggling with the fact that that he killed someone, and and they show this in like the last ten minutes, while David Diggs's character like has a gun on him and has the choice to kill this police officer, and he chooses not to, and they they go 
they pan to the police officer who's tearing up, who kind of, I don't know if this was acting, um, like if this was the actors pointing a gun at him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I don't know if this was the actor's choice, uh, the director's choice or my interpretation, but there was this sense of he was afraid, but he also kind of wanted it to happen in the sense of he wanted to be relieved of the guilt. Mm-hmm. And so eventually the uh, David Diggs drops his gun and leaves. And the police officer says, like, I didn't mean to kill him. And, and the other character sort of looks at him and says, well, you shot him five times. Like at a certain point, a certain number of bullets, you can kind of say, weren't you? And if that was your instinct, there's a problem there with the entire force and the entire academy. It's it's not, again, this conversation of, like, let's get rid of the bad police officers. It's kind of like including the good police officers are in a system that will not benefit marginalized groups. Uh, but that's a tangent. And it does tie in with Al being like, you know, a sympathetic police officer that experienced trauma when they killed someone. So I, I just seemed like an interesting choice. It's definitely, it's definitely an interesting, like, um, cause Al is, is like very agreeable with, uh, what John is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's definitely interesting things to say about like, uh, obviously we talked about the, the loose cannon cop, but also like, um, feeling remorse and guilt and, and having that be like uh, an arc for him in, in itself, right? Just having an arc for Al is really nice to throw in. Because a lot of times they'll have these like characters who are like beeline characters who just get thrown away at the end of the movie. Like like movies now will end, right? Jo- like John McClane will come out of the building and then like the movie will end. And like we'll never hear about Al again. Um, so it's just yeah. nice to see like a little arc finishing for him because at the end of the movie obviously he pulls his gun and kills off the last terrorist so hooray spoiler (laughs) for a movie from 1987 Um, i don't know why that was a question (laughs) yeah it's definitely a spoiler it's definitely a spoiler it's just just, yeah we can get in a whole debate about how long a movie has to be out for it to be a spoiler but oh that would be a good episode actually (laughs) that is a cool i made an episode for the future yeah look at you you're already uh uh, but yeah, I think um, now we want to answer the question, is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Um, I think we can answer that after the break. C4 Steak Sauce, the manliest steak sauce you'll ever taste. Because toxic masculinity is our brand. Boy, oh boy, I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to go out and purchase those goods or services. Yum, yum. So, uh, I think we all have a different opinion of what would constitute a Christmas movie, and therefore, whether or not Die Hard's a Christmas movie. So I think we should all give what our personal criteria um for a Christmas movie is, and then we can sort of compare and contrast uh, and discuss, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Let's do it. So for me, a Christmas movie, uh, for it to be a Christmas movie, um, Christmas has to be uh, important to the plot. Um, 
it doesn't necessarily have to be um you know like saving christmas or saving santa claus um but christmas needs to uh somehow affect what is happening in the movie it needs to be important that it's christmas yeah so uh for me um i have two major criteria one is um release window um so in particular i see a lot of christmas movies as movies that uh released uh, beginning of November to around the beginning of February. Um, it's not a major criteria. It's a, it's a criteria, but it's not something that like is a definite, right? Um, it's just a more, more weight goes on to those types of movies. Um, and also, uh, like Joe just said, um, the movie has to have, um, Christmas has to be a major driving point of the movie. Um, it has to either, if, if we could remove Christmas from the movie and the movie would, continue on as normal then it's not really a christmas movie it's just a movie that has that's happening around christmas um and if we could also in place another holiday or another event a major event then also it's not a christmas movie Hmm. it specifically needs to be about christmas interesting yeah yeah for me it has a lot to do with theme um what makes a christmas movie i mean we can talk about it being Christmas time during the movie, um, which I think is important. But what's more important is is whether the theme is about, you know, what Christmas is supposed to be about, uh, giving, uh, family. Uh, but we can also argue that there are a lot of family movies, obviously, that that aren't about Christmas. And so that setting is is pretty important. So I guess, like, for example, Frozen has a snowman in it. Is that a Christmas movie? The, the, sister's, the sister's love is what saves the other sister. That's family themes. Yeah. I know, I know personally I associate snow with Christmas, but there are plenty of places around the world where it doesn't snow during Christmas. Frozen or, came out in November. In, in Die Hard, it's, 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 it's set in California. It's snowing there in Christmas. So That's true. Not a single snowflake in all of Die Hard. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. They, they, they did. The end Bring of the in the dancing lobsters. Have the, like, the like, paper falling down that mm. was supposed to resemble snow. Yeah, what about right. the glass they, breaking? Because they knew it was important for it to snow. Because Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Case closed. <laughs> case closed. Oh man! How many uh, times Alex, are we going to close this case? <laughs> uh, yeah, Alex, you wrote up the glass breaking. Uh, arguably, every bullet hole, just like a snowflake, unique, uh, white, etc. <laughs> Exactly. Um, And and so we can get into, I guess, what people in general argue about Die Hard and whether or not it's a Christmas movie. They definitely push for the setting, the fact that it's Christmas time, the fact Mm -hmm. that John McClane writes ho, ho, ho on a dead bad guy. The fact that John McClane says Merry Christmas when throwing C4 down an elevator. You know, the fact that they're at a Christmas party. There, there's a lot of the word Christmas 
And there's a lot of... But is there the feeling? (laughs) And and that's the question I want to answer. Like, let's get into it. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I'm going to (laughs) say hard yes. Uh, I'm going to go like... It could be if there if I could hear a real good argument for it, but it's, it's a no. It's I can interject another holiday or another major event, and it it wasn't released around Christmas. It was released on July fifteenth, which uh, is like halfway through Christmas, so you could almost say Christmas in July. Uh, but it's it's a no for me, dog. It's a no. It's a yes for me. And uh, I'm not going to go through what happened naturally last time where I went through a whole rigmarole of saying yes, but I could see why not. Uh, Because by the end of the conversation, I changed my spots and I said, Die Hard is unquestionably a Christmas movie based on the criteria that we set for ourselves. It's set on or about Christmas. It has themes of uh, giving rather than receiving it has themes of family and togetherness. Um, and uh, Christmas in July is Christmas nonetheless. <laughs> uh, so Die Hard, I think according to the uh, Two Bald Men and Friend Christmas barometer, is a Christmas movie. Yeah, I mean, that's where I stand. I, j- I just feel like John McClane, he doesn't know what he has. You know, he has this relationship with his wife, but they are living separately and he can't be happy for her because he feels like he lost something along the way rather than being supportive and recognizing that she found something that she could be passionate about. And so I I feel like John McClane learned about the gift of giving. He learned about the gift of letting go. And in that context, it's like coming of age, which I feel like coming of age is a huge theme in Christmas movies. When we think to Harry Potter, which we can also argue whether or not that's a Christmas movie, but it definitely comes out (laughs) on ABC Family every single year around Christmas time. Coming of age is essential. I pictured, uh, because there's a lot of memes of like, Oh, it's Christmas time. Christina, uh, not Christina Aguilera, um, Mariah Carey and Michael Bublé are getting defrosted because they have the big Christmas albums. But I'm picturing ABC Family like, oh boy, it's uh, Christmas time. Time to just play Harry Potter again. <laughs> A uh, thing we do all the time. So the other, the other big movie that comes to mind with like, is it a Christmas movie? Yes or no? It uh, also plays a lot at Christmas time is um, um, uh, Home Alone, right? Home Alone has, right? It's centered around Christmas. They're leaving for the holiday. And they get, he gets left at home and it's Christmas time. But does that make it a Christmas movie? Yes or no? And there's arguments for that movie too. Um, but that also gets played a lot too. Mm-hmm. All right. Hijinks and Sue. And it's about family. Mm. There's Christmas lights. In the movie, that's big. <laughs> if if yeah. if we're gonna continue on this tangent, I want to say that the main character in Home Alone does not appreciate his family until he is left home alone. And there's a whole arc of how much oh, fun. That's why they call it that. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's this whole arc of him being home and loving it because he despises family time and then slowly realizes how important it is to have family around when people are trying to break into his house. It's lonely at the top. (laughs) (laughs) Quote Kevin McAllister. (laughs) Uh, So I'm willing to say Die Hard, yes. I'm willing to say Home Alone, yes. I'm willing to say Harry Potter, yes. And I'm iffy about Frozen. But if pressed, (laughs) I'll say yes. Oh, we did. We did say this uh, the first time, and I don't think it made it in this time. But just a disclaimer uh, that you had to have listened yeah. to the whole episode to get uh, this time. Uh, a Christmas movie is whatever you want it to be. If you and your family around Christmas time or just you, it doesn't have to be your whole family. Uh, if around Christmas time you snuggle up and watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Guess what, buddy? Roger Rabbit's a Christmas movie to you. Yeah. Um, and and although the two lovely hosts have been very adamant about the yes, uh, still a no for me. And at the end of the day, just like we mentioned at the beginning, I don't really care. <laughs> it doesn't affect my life at all. But if you are a diehard, diehard fan, then by That's all means, they call it that. <laughs> by all means, it is a Christmas movie for you. Just like how. The Nightmare Over Christmas is a Christmas movie and a Halloween movie. And I think, uh, not to step on Alex's toes, but uh, just because he said it the first time, uh, this is an appropriate situation to say, let's agree to disagree. This is something that you don't have to come around on if you adamantly believe it. And it doesn't affect the civil rights of an entire class of people. And so it's okay to just say, you know what? You say potato, I say Die Hard's a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, I That's exactly how I feel about it. <laughs> you think Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Yeah, me no, too. No, potato. <laughs> we got it, we got it, everybody. We got him. I, Don't worry, I you guys, I can splice I said, that up I'm and get him, get him to I'm say gonna it. I'm going to splice it in, in post. <laughs> oh no, what will I ever do? Um, But... Okay, yeah, I think now is a good time. LQ, you sort of got to plug a little bit at the beginning, but uh, do you have anything to promote now? Sure. Um, You can come and find me streaming on hopefully a regular schedule starting soon, if not already, depending on when this airs. Uh, And uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash LQ does. I'm also, uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter at... uh, Twitter slash L- or add LQ does. I think that's how Twitter works. Hey, Joe, what do you have going on with you? So what I've got going on is uh, millennials, zoomers, boomers, all like uh, you can follow me on TikTok. I think I got a little something for everybody. Uh, so I am at Joe the Barbarian. So that's Joe D.A. Barbarian. Uh, I, my mom thinks I'm funny. And maybe you will too. You know, you know, Joe. You say that. I I think you should use the phrase from Zoomer to Boomer. I think that that encompasses your your range of potential fans. It rhymes, and then you don't have to say that pesky millennial word that is definitely taboo. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, don't remind me about millennials. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, you can also find me on Twitch. I am Durple Panda. And for those who don't know, just last night, 
and just this morning, I dropped the extra E. So Derple Panda is D-E-R-P-L-E Panda. And boy, oh boy, are people mad about it. I'm ecstatic. For reference, before there was two E's. Yeah, but where? Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) It was at the end of Panda. He's very bad at spelling. Yeah, let's yeah, let's be let's be uh, specific. Before there were three E's. Now there's two E. <laughs> you bring up a good point. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Tune in next time when we talk about Full Court Miracle, the Disney Channel original movie. If you liked us, you can find us on our website, twobaldmenpodcast.com. Or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore bald men. And find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Thank you all again. And if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time. Mm-hmm.